Today, we're talking to Sarah Brazier from Gong.io and Sarah Jane Hicks from Predictable Revenue. One thing that's always a treat for me is getting to interview a top performing rep or multiple top performing reps. And I've never really actually interviewed more than one person at a time until this interview you're about to listen to today. <laughs> so I wasn't really sure how it would go, you know, doing a panel style uh, through Zoom. And it turned out really great. And the people that I'm talking to today are Sarah Brazier. So Sarah is. She was the top SDR, at least at Gong in 2019, and was one of the top performers uh, this year before being promoted to an AE. So she's killing it at Gong. She still, to this day, is probably the best cold caller I've ever listened to. And then we got Sarah Jane Hicks is the other person I'm talking to uh, from Predictable Revenue. So she's an SDR over there and has some just really creative things that they're doing to get meetings for their clients. And they both take a different approach because, I mean, they're, they're prospecting into different types of personas and different types of, you know, businesses in terms of size. You know, Gong does a lot of work on the enterprise, you know, end is what Sarah Brazier was doing. And then Sarah Jane Hicks was doing more, you know, SMBs and, and maybe, you know, mid-market type of stuff. And they both like different tools. You know, one likes the phone, one leans a little bit more in email and LinkedIn and that sort of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting uh, for you to hear their perspective. And this is the audio excerpt from their virtual tour that they participated in. So if you haven't heard of it, we're running the Think Outside the Script summer virtual tour. And it's live, it's free, and we have folks on like Sarah and Sarah here to talk about how they prospect. And it was a lot of fun. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name's Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting so that you can get more meetings with your ideal prospects. So I want to share proven tactics and strategies and all that good stuff to help you get in front of more of your ideal clients. So Sarah and Sarah, like I said, they joined us on the Think Outside the Script summer virtual tour. So make sure to check it out. We got another 25 by the time you listen to this, 25 or, or 20-ish uh, more live presentations coming up. And it'll be a chance for you to come and you'll hear the interaction. People are asking questions and all kinds of stuff about how they prospect. So if you want to participate in that, make sure to check it out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. It's been a ton of fun. We have almost 5,000 people signed up for it so far. So come check it out. It's free. It's live. I think you'll really dig it. And let's get to the talk. I think the first thing that would be kind of interesting to get into, and I'll go ahead and direct this uh, your way first, Brazier. Uh, is there any advice you see out there, like prospecting related, that is like really common advice that you just like don't really agree with or ha haven't really seen work for you personally? I don't think people are posting about it on LinkedIn so much, but I remember at my first, my first uh, SDR job, I definitely got a lot of bad advice or no advice um, around everything from uh, composition of, you know, campaigns, you know, for, for my sequences. It was all about like, how great our business is and here are all the big giant moguls that we work with. And this is why you should take a meeting with me and take it now or um, things like CTAs being uh, like very specific, like let's meet at this date on this time. Um, and I think that there was just like once a point when the, the spray and pray of like, we're going to send this to everybody and it's just going to be a marketing email, but written by an SDR <laughs> that I think is like, that's the thing that I, that I still see. Um, like I just had a conversation with someone who had been writing all these really tailored personalized emails. Then a VP of sales was, was brought on and he was like, stop doing that. Marketing is going to write all of our emails. You're just going to blast them out. Oh. He called me up and he was like, Hey, I, um, I don't know if this is right. And I was like, that's because it's not. <laughs> so that, that would be it. So it sounds like this very me centered 
uh, approach to training where it's like, let's just talk about what we want as salespeople. We want a meeting and like, here's some tactics and like knockoff kind of things you can do real quick to, to try to get the prospect to respond and take a meeting with you. Yeah. Hundo. Oh man. Okay. We're definitely going to dig into that. Um, Sarah, what about you? What, cause you've been doing this for a little while as well. Like what is mm. some really common advice that you see out there a lot, or maybe in a way that you were trained in your first you know, sales job that just like, just is not, not good. Totally not right. I think a really common thing with outbound in particular is the idea that something that had worked for you in the past, whether that's like at a previous company in a previous role, prospecting into a, a previous industry or segment, the idea that that is ever going to work again, that it is just kind of transferable or like you can copy and paste that and just do it all over again. Um, I, it, it's, it's not, that's not how it works. Like whoever you're prospecting in particular has their own set of goals, their own set of needs, their own set of pains. And you absolutely have to be relevant to those rather than um, kind of like hanging on to tactics that have worked. Um, obviously, there are a lot of really great thought leaders that are sharing um, really cool kind of actionable tactics on LinkedIn all the time. But you can't just look at that and be like, great, that's what I'm going to do. That's what my next campaigns are going to look like. Because you have to kind of validate it in some way um, for your specific audience, your specific product offering, all that kind of stuff. So I think the biggest kind of key mistake with Outbound is is just doing something that's worked for somebody else and and thinking it'll work for you. Okay. So this is actually a good place to start this conversation. And let's just kind of open it up. I know with Zoom, because there's a delay sometimes that doing a panel like this can be tricky, but let's just open it up if you guys are cool with it. Um, so how should someone that's on this webinar or any other salesperson consuming sales advice, how can they have a better bullshit detector over like what's good stuff that I should try versus something that's like a very cookie cutter cold email template or say this magic line in your cold call and everyone will want to take a meeting with you. What's a good way that someone can have a good bullshit detector? Do you think? Rachel, go ahead. Um, I would say, well, what, what you had said, Sarah made me think about our theater background, right? And like one of the key things when you approach characters, you have to understand the characters. Why, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I think the same thing happens with, um, everything from understanding like why someone is presenting information to me to, um, you know, why, why my customer would take a call with me, um, all, all of those things. So like if it comes to bullshit detectors, understanding like I think about why would that work? Why if, if, I, if I flip it around and I'm sitting here and I'm getting prospected because for some reason, sometimes people prospect me, it's usually <laughs> about HR software. I'm like, I don't work in HR. <laughs> you didn't read my profile. <laughs> or they want to know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, or it's like some generic, can I pick your brain? Well, yeah. I don't know. It, that sounds painful. Um, yeah. So like, uh, like uh, the why, like if someone, if someone turns it around and does it to me, would I like that? Would I feel offended? Would I, would I feel appreciated? Why? And when someone does prospect me and I respond, why did I respond? What did they say that was good? Um, I think like that's, that's like, I think like to be a good SDR, you always have to have that in the back of your mind of like, why, what would motivate this person to say yes versus no? What would motivate this person to stay on the phone? What would motivate this person to take a meeting with a complete stranger? And if the advice you're getting doesn't fit into the why people do what they do. If it sounds like, Ooh, I actually feel like that would be really, ugh, then it's probably bad advice. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're totally right. It's always, you've got to think about who you're actually reaching out to and then think about the human being that's there rather than like the title or the, you know, the, the product or whatever, you've got to absolutely think about, um, why that would appeal to them in particular. Um, and a kind of another thing, this is sort of only applicable if you are an SDR with a bit more um, like authority over what you, what you put into your sequences. So if you work with a, a kind of a manager or SDR manager or whatever, who lets you have a lot of input, but you've got to A-B test because sometimes you are going to look at stuff. It's going to sound like it absolutely would work. You're like, you know, wow, great. Especially if you're, if you're kind of just starting out and you don't yet have that huge context to be able to understand what 
what will motivate someone to book a meeting versus not. I remember my first couple of days as an SDR, I like wrote some email that I was like, surely this is a good email to get somebody to answer my questions. And the guy who brought me on just kind of let me write the emails initially um, just to see where I'd go. And then he'd kind of guide me from there. And he was like, yeah, like funnily enough, like these four things you've put in there are rated like the absolute worst thing to ever put in an email and you're going to get blacklisted right away. But like good, good effort. So sometimes you just don't have the kind of context. Um, so you've got to test. Um, so you've got to do a mix of things that your kind of company has validated as tried and true. And then, you know, sprinkle in some A-B testing with the things you see on LinkedIn um, or the things that you see in webinars like these or, um, you know, eBooks or whatever. You can't just put all your eggs in one basket because sometimes as good as your bullshit detector might be, you might be wrong. It might be good for you and none of your prospects. So it's always about testing. I and we definitely need to get into A-B testing. I, I love that answer because there's some stuff that I see working. I just don't know why. And I'm trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, if it, if it works better, sometimes you just kind of got to go with that. Um, so it sounds like at the root of both your guys' approaches is empathy. Like the very first thing that you guys said was, what would it be like being on the receiving end of this? Like, what's it like being the prospect? And Brazier, you know, we've talked about this, you know, before when you came on the podcast, but how does, what do you think is a good habit that someone could, could have or implement uh, into how they approach prospecting if thinking about the other person is not something that they really do much of, or maybe are not very good at this empathy thing? What's a good practical way to start getting better at empathy and actually take a more empathetic approach to prospecting? Do you want to take this one? Yeah, I have an idea for that. Um, I think, and this is something that somebody reminded me of recently. I think it was maybe posted somewhere on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, how have I not thought about this in the past like year on my job? But um, talk to the person at your company that is the title that you prospect. So perfect. There's somebody in your kind of cohort, in your community that will answer those questions for you. So like what would make them answer an email? What are their kind of pains, priorities, goals uh, kind of tied into their job? And then what kind of messaging would um, both provide value to them in that title and also um, provide a potential solution to the specific pain that they're feeling? Um, because it's this kind of um, interesting, it's it's an interesting balance between empathy to the human being yet with the relevance to the title. It, yeah. it can't just be speaking to that human being on the other end of the email because they're like, I'm not trying to just be your best friend. Like, you need to be able to help me achieve my goal at my job, but also in this empathetic way. So a great way to figure out exactly how to tackle that with the with the ICP or the, the title that you're prospecting is to talk to that person in your company. If they exist, absolutely, they might not. And in which case, you maybe want to reach out to your network and see if anybody will chat to you. Um, but then, yeah, the, the empathy thing, huge, huge priority always. And I think you've just got to take a step back and reread any kind of email or template that you're designing and uh, think about if you were reading that, if somebody else sent that to you, is this, is it like kind? Is it concise? Is it helpful? Is it educational? Is it pointing them in the right direction? Um, yeah. I love yeah, that. It's like, there's that give, there's that give get element of like, um, I'm asking for your time, but I'm going to give you something helpful. Um, and so it's like, if you think about like, uh, back when we were allowed to touch each other and be in the same space <laughs> without a mask on. <laughs> um, like, you know, you, you like see the advertisements at clubs for like, this is going to be the party. And like, why, why would I want to be there? Like, what's cool about it? Like, or, or even if it's a sales conference, like why, why did you come to this meeting? There was some piece of value that you were going to get that was worth you donating an hour of your time to listen to this. So I think about, the thing that probably bothers me more than just like a generic message from someone is when somebody asks for my time um, and asks for a large portion of my time without, without there being anything in it for me. 
it's and so like at first you you're a nice person you're like yeah of course i want to give back i'll i'll give my time i'll give my time then as time goes by you get more and more people asking for your time and i think about these c level executives who are in charge of these massive companies they sit on zoom meetings all day long back to back to back to back to back in meetings so they only probably have like a couple hours if that a week to to spend on you know hanging out with their kids or making themselves coffee or doing yoga or whatever so why would they sacrifice like their me time or their think time to learn about my software well it has to it has to like, it's not, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a give that I'm giving them that they say, okay, yeah, this is going to be really valuable. Um, and so like that I think should be in your mind. So when someone tells you no, I mean like they're telling you no for a good reason. <laughs> they don't have time. You're not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Find, find a pain. <laughs> no, I, I love this. And a quick comment on this, uh, what you said, had said, Sarah, these are a couple really easy things that I heard reps that we work with do. And I thought this was really interesting to like get in the buyer's shoes. So you have people that you work with at your company, but what about your parents and the companies they work at? Oftentimes your parents can give you an introduction to their VP or their whoever. Um, and then also just think about anyone that you're friends with and their parents, like people that would be really easy to get an introduction to. Um, oftentimes, it's like one degree of separation between you and these people being able to learn more about them. Uh, so Brazier, what you commented on, I want to dig into a little further here. And you guys are asking really tactical questions, by the way, in the Q&A. So keep them coming. We're about to get like really hyper tactical here. But I was going to ask you, like, why do people take meetings? Because I think that's really important to understand. Like, well, why would a prospect want to take a meeting? You said something around give to get. I think a lot of people might be interested in hearing or wonder, well, what, what does a prospect get for spending 30 minutes with me? Like, what can I actually give them that would be valuable? And conceptually, what is that, that give that we can, uh, that we can give in return for their time? Yeah. So I think like, before you get to that part, you have to have done your research on the prospect and the prospects company and understand what initiatives they're probably driving toward. And so on the cold call, you say, Hey, I read these things about your company. And it sounds like, just connecting the dots here, I could be totally off base, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it sounds like X, Y, and Z might be an initiative for you. Does, does that sound relevant? Does that sound fair? And they say, yes or no. And then you say, well, can I have 30 seconds of your time to kind of tell you what it is we do? And then you tell me if you want to hang up on me or if you want to keep talking. And they'll be like, ha, ha, ha. I'm thinking about hanging up on you. <laughs> but fine, you can have 30 more seconds. And then you tell them what you do. And then hopefully you know, you've A-B tested your pitch enough to, to like have a good, a really good pitch that sort of summarizes what, what your solution does. But more importantly, it shouldn't be about like, you know, I record, transcribe and analyze calls. Mm, that's interesting. No, it's like we, we solve these three key problems for B VPs of sales. Do you have those problems too? then you have a little, little tiny mini, like, oh yeah, we actually do. That actually sounds interesting. We are working on this initiative. You're right. Here are some things. Well, would you want to spend a couple, you know, 20, 30 minutes with me and my account executive just to kind of unpack what you're working on and see if our solution can help you solve those problems. And then, and then like they're, they're getting, they're getting something that could help solve their problem maybe. And like the worst case scenario is, you know, you'll learn about how, you know, X, Y, or Z company who's a competitor or in your space is leveraging our tool to solve for that. And now you have like competitor intelligence <laughs> or, yeah. or however you want to position it in your brain. So I have to point out, cause you did a couple like really clutch things there that people may not have caught on. You said, correct me if I'm wrong. So it's like you come in very unassumptive, and I, which I think is so important when you're making a cold call. You're not saying, I did this research and I know that I can help you, or I know that you have this problem. It's like, hey, correct me if I'm wrong. I found this thing, which we'll dig into personalization here in a minute because that's what everyone's asking questions about. And then you did your you know, classic, the upfront contract, like asking them if it's cool if I tell you a little bit more about why I'm calling. Um, so I wanted to point those two things out. Those are really, really great techniques, uh, everyone, for your cold calls. So let's talk about personalization. So the first question that we have here from Mark Roberts is how do you personalize an email if the prospect doesn't have any info online about them? Do you personalize it about the position? Do you make it about the company? What are your guys' thoughts on that? I think it's a bit of both. Um, often 
you can find, even if there's nothing like that person's not on LinkedIn, say, or they don't have like a company page that has uh, the titles and their photos and a bio or whatever, um, you can probably still find information in like news publications or blogs or something about that company. Um, kind of, yeah, you still got to do your digging. Um, if there's literally nothing about that company online, maybe don't prospect them. Like there's probably, it's probably for good reason that there's like nothing out there. Um, maybe they started like yesterday. And then in that case, you've got to phone them and figure it out. But um, you can often find still valuable stuff on what the company is doing um, through looking at like news outlets or often they'll even have kind of like a press link in their company website. Um, and then, yeah, and then you've got to kind of tie it into that title. So thinking about what are the common pains. And then like Sarah did in her, or Brazier did in her um, cold call, um, like these are the the three common issues we're encountering p- with people in your title, people in your type of company segment, whatever. Um, do those ring a bell? Do those, do those sound relevant? Um, and like she did with the cold call, the email you want to do the soft ask to. Don't go in with that. Like, so do you want to talk about it on Wednesday at 3 p.m.? Yes or no? Like, is this relevant? Does this sound fair? Um, does that make sense? Actually, I don't know about, does that make sense? Maybe we'll get into that later, but I don't know how I feel about that one. But yeah, is it fair? Is it relevant? Would you like to learn more? Something like that. But you can still you can still personalize it to the title and, and stuff that you find about the company if, if you can't find anything else on that person. Yeah, I think like a good spot to go is try to find if there's a press release when that person move to whatever company it was and usually there'll be a quote from that from that person like that it's a vp of sales just started there'll be a quote about like why they joined the company and a lot of times there'll be someone from the board of directors or like the ceo will say like or there will be that like someone will say we hired this person to do x y or z thing and then you just lift it and sometimes it, you find it and it's like three years old and so you say like when you first started at this company your objective was to do X, Y, or Z thing, according to this quote. Um, since then, you've done A, B, and C, other things, connecting the dots here. But if you've, you know, excelled in your role in these ways, I imagine the next step will be to, and then you you take a stab at a problem they might be having. So it sounds like you guys have a lot of internal, almost like a playbooks when you encounter certain situations. Um, and Brazier, I know that you're switch. you just, became an AE, but you were doing a lot of enterprise before that. Can you tell us about some of the stuff you would look at on the enterprise level? Because there's just like a treasure trove of things that you can find when, when you're selling enterprise usually. Yeah. I, and I think like, I think uh, Sarah does this too, where it's like um, t- t- finding finding relevant information and being able to scale it. So you can basically send like a lot of people the same email, but it feels really tailored. You do that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, She's like, <laughs> yeah, that's sure my thing. It wasn't <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Um, so the thing that I have found to work well is I go to quarterly earnings calls and I don't listen to them and I don't even really read them. I keyword search them for the specific topics that I'm interested in knowing about the company. And um, Seeking Alpha? Is that the... Yes. You can use Seeking Alpha. You can use a a tool called Sentio. And then there is another tool that I just learned about. I think it's called like Cheetah IQ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, AI or something like that. But but that also... Yeah. And so any of those work. And it's just depending on like how much your company wants to spend on you. (laughs) Um. But you can just like real quick search the transcript for I look for sales and I look for revenue because that's I sell to sales leaders. And I find either the CFO or the CEO or the CRO sitting on that call and they say something about, you know, how their numbers did last quarter and, and how that's impacting their strategy for the quarter moving forward. And then I write out a sequence based off of whatever they talked about in in that call. So it's like your CEO said this thing is a top initiative because if the CEO says that we're going to do this thing, it's going to impact everybody's jobs. And then you tailor it to like, that's the second sentence is like, if that's the case, like, you don't say if that's the case, but like sales leaders, 
working with that exact same problem, leverage our solution to solve that problem in this way. Would you be open to having a conversation? Like that's how, and then I write out that email and I send it to anybody with the correct sales title, anybody who's a VP of sales, which there's a bunch of, or a regional sales director, or you know anybody that's managing a team that might be struggling with that problem. And then I, and then a lot of people get it. And then I start looking at who's clicking on my email and I start calling them. I just call everybody. I just, I call everybody. And then I read my email to them in the reason for my call. I, I read my first sentence. <laughs> yeah. I think that's another really big hack is you don't have to come up with something new on the call just because they probably didn't read your email super closely. You know, it's not, or they're going to be like, remember it so much. They're going to be like, oh yeah, Sarah, you sent me that email about this thing and you pointed at that. Nice try. You know, like they're, like it's just not going to happen. Um, if you guys had to wait, like the categories of stuff that you find when you're doing research, do you weight stuff that's like personal to the prospect um, versus stuff that's maybe just a persona-based kind of thing versus an account-based kind of thing? I think you've got to be, it's kind of difficult to think about it just as kind of personal versus the title because you actually want something that's a blend of those two. Because if I think of something that's purely personal, it might be that they like, posted something about their kid who won a baseball game. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be like the most personal thing ever to them. But then of course you don't want to use that as your, your, your kind of trigger. Um, and then you don't want to go completely polar opposite and have it just be about any title in the industry as a whole. So like Sarah said with it, um, like when that, that title joined the company, that's them in particular and very specific to the title and why they joined the company. Um, if that person writes an article on LinkedIn that's about something that they do as a company in their role or, you know, as a person in their role, um, like thought leaders that are posting stuff, um, kind of like self-authored or self-spoken kind of like recorded content, but then that is relevant to their industry and their title, I think is the most, the, the top tier of, of um, content that you want to draw from for your personalization. Absolutely. Yeah, that part's gold. But you could use the the kids' baseball post if you needed to. Like if you're mm -hmm. super, if you're desperate. Like one time I, this was like over a year ago, but I was prospecting this guy or this company, and this guy had nothing on his LinkedIn. Didn't even have like a LinkedIn recommendation that I could be like, Carl says that you're really cool. Like <laughs> cool people use my solution. Um, <laughs> like so. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing like that. The guy doesn't post on LinkedIn. There's not a single news article about him. There's no kind of press release. The only thing is if you hover over his name on the website, it like, it, it would say it would, a little nickname for him would come up and it was like, eye of Sauron, something like that. And so I wrote him an email, uh, a Lord of the Rings themed email that was basically like, uh, Hey, I noticed on your company website that your nickname is the Eye of Sauron. Sales leaders leverage our solution. And I made this comparison to Gong being the one ring to rule them all and taking his reps who were just regular orcs and transforming them into orakai and asked him for a oh, meeting. Oh, man. That's awesome. And yeah. And then, and then he immediately responded and we, <laughs> we had a meeting. <laughs> That's a good one. I feel like, yeah, eventually you get to a point where like you can find nothing but those things. And I had a similar one where somebody was now a, a sales persona that I was prospecting, but like deep in their past, um, in their kind of past jobs on LinkedIn, there was um, designer of hologram technology. And then I clicked into that. And then there was some event where he had designed a hologram of Homer Simpson for some event that had like been on stage. And then I did like a similar thing, like tied in some Simpsons stuff. And I think it was just probably like so weird and like obscure and not what he had heard about in the past like 15 years that yeah, sometimes those things do, they certainly get people's attention. And if you're still providing that value as you would with anything else, it's fine. Yeah. I think like the key is that it has to be valuable because Yep. Like I think I think those things are cute and I think they're really funny, but I would prefer to have like I would also prefer it to be tied to like a key business initiative because ultimately I'm going to ask this person for money if if like if this makes sense and we get through the sales cycle, they're we're going to ask them to spend a lot of money with us. And you don't want the 
<laughs> hey, Lord of the Rings is fun. So do you want to give me a couple, a couple grand? <laughs> is that cool? So like, that's like, so I want to make sure that I'm driving toward like some, some business initiative. Um, ultimately. Love this. I know we but, spent some yeah, time there. It, oh, go. Sorry, Brader. I was going to say like, the, I think like a good rule of thumb is if it take if you find that you spent more than five minutes trying to find relevant information, then just write the Homer Simpson email, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the information you got. Do it. Yeah. Something is better than nothing, especially if it is obvious that you took the time to like find something this person's interested in. So Mark Roberts, great question. Alex Delgado, that answered your question as well. He wanted to know about how to kind of connect the personalization to your value prop, which you guys did an awesome job mm -hmm. there. Uh, what I thought we could do now, because I'm seeing a ton of questions around this, is kind of shift gears. And there's a lot of sequencing questions that people are asking about. I know that both of you two are very into the science part of outreach as well in terms of sequences and, and using tools and leveraging data and stuff. Just kind of thousand foot view, how do you guys think about your sequence? touches wise, how far apart they are, what channels you choose, like what are the kind of basics when it comes to sequence for you two? Mm -hmm. This is another thing that I think is influenced by, um, in part by the kind of tried and true methods that exist in your company. Like chances are you're not the very first SDR that your company has had. So take a look at where they've had success before. And then of course, there's that element of kind of testing because you always want to kind of innovate and iterate and see what's new and see what you can do. Um, that's a really where to kind of learn about how to iterate and innovate. Great place to do that. LinkedIn, LinkedIn thought leaders, people like Beck Holland, um, who are designing sequences kind of on mass with large SDR teams. So they're, they're getting them validated and then they're sharing them, um, with their audience. Um, absolutely. I think whether you're doing a, a full account-based strategy like Brazier does, or whether you are just kind of going for people in that are the right persona, but kind of regardless of the company, um, a multi-channel approach is always going to be the best way. So when you're designing that sequence, you've got to have the cold calls, the emails, and the LinkedIn touches built out into that sequence because you want to be hitting those prospects from all sides, um, not just from the one channel. And now which channels you should weight heavier again, will depend on the industry that you're in. So you want to look at where your prospects are most active and where they're being prospected the most heavily because that's where you've got the most competition. So you might want to weight heavier to a different one. So for instance, if you're prospecting into a very traditional industry, the industrial industry, you can hit the phone a lot because those people have a desk phone and they'll answer the phone because you might be a client and it like maybe doesn't even have caller ID. So that's a great place to use the phone. Um, if you're calling like a tech executive, they're probably not going to answer their phone or not as frequently at least. So you got to look at where your people are being prospected and where also they exist the most, whether it's uh, on LinkedIn, on email or on the phone. And then kind of use that information to build out that sequence. And then there's a lot of kind of best practices around how long a sequence should be or um, whether it should be kind of front loaded or, or back loaded, that kind of stuff um, that you can find all over the place. And you've just got to test in my experience. Yeah, I use Sam Nelson's from a, go a, a Goji sequence. He's from mm -hmm. Outreach. And it's like a 16 step sequence that is a combination of emails, um, phone calls and LinkedIn touches. Um, I do prospect tech executives and I call them and they pick up in actually since, since COVID happened, more people are answering their phones. I've seen that too. I've found yep. than um, than emails, my email open rates and just my general like bookings over emails has like, I think it's because marketers are just like spamming the crap out of everyone. I don't know if this happened to you, but I feel like I gotta, I hope you're safe and well from a bunch of yeah. marketing people that I never signed up for their <laughs> newsletter ever. They were just like, she's in the system, hit send. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's so, I'm fine guys. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I like, I still send my emails cause there's always a chance. Um, but the phone, I think like our team, our, our SDR team, it's like 70 or 80% of our meetings booked came over cold calls uh, last quarter. So um, yeah, I, I personally keep track of where I get my wins 
throughout the day. Cause I think everybody's like their own little unique special snowflake. And some people, sometimes your tactic over LinkedIn is like really sharp and on point and you can get a lot of wins versus like your, your tactic on maybe you need to practice your cold calls before you like really lean on cold calling to be where you're going to get your wins. I don't know. But, um, I keep track of, of where I get wins. Um, and I, I basically get most of mine via cold call and LinkedIn. And so I lean really heavily on those two things. And I, uh, I do like call blitzes during certain times of the day, but that's like, that's it. Both of you use outreach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to send a quick message to everyone. If you look another really easy foundation way to get started, because all the data is pretty much the same on this. But if you look at outreach, sales loft, vanilla soft, Xant, they're all going to say the same thing with sequences for a foundation. 12 to 16 touches over 30 to 45 days across two to three channels. Try to space the touches at least two days apart, you know, two to seven days apart, longer apart, you know, more down the sequence you get. That's like a really good generic rule of thumb to start with. But what I love about what both of you are sharing is that you guys actually both get good results doing fairly different things. It sounds like, uh, Sarah, you, you sort of prefer email and Brazier, you prefer the phone and email. So, um, I think that's, that's uh, really cool. So Alex Harris, that should answer your question. And this should also answer your question, Carrie Coleman. What are your guys' thoughts on uh, combo prospecting, triple touch, something where you will hit someone on LinkedIn email and phone and leave them a voicemail, like just sort of in rapid succession. Do you guys ever do anything like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, like 80% of the people that we work with the end of the quarter, (laughs) everybody's getting hit up. (laughs) Uh, Like literally 80% of the people that we work with that crush it at prospecting. And then people like you two that we interview, um, all of them do some sort of combo prospecting where they'll mix multiple channels together in rapid succession. That's a really easy hack um, that you guys can implement right away. As long as the messaging, um, is good. Uh, here's a fun question. Um, uh, Janice Booth is asking, how do you best recover from making a rookie mistake? How do you recover ground? (laughs) You fall on your sword. You say, oh my God, this is such a rookie mistake. I am so sorry. Can I have like, I totally embarrassed myself. Can I have one more shot to try to like tell you why I was even reaching out in the first place? And then like, if, if, if it doesn't make sense, you can, you can totally tell me no. You can tell me no right now, but I'm totally new to this and I, I'm just trying to figure things out. I, I definitely feel like I messed up there. And usually people go, oh, so sorry. <laughs> you can try again, little SDR. <laughs> it's, it saved me for a couple of times. I've totally called people back when I've screwed up. When I got a no on the phone, call them back. Oh, man, I just feel like I did a really bad job handling your objections. Can I have another shot? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Worst case scenario, you get hung up on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I would definitely agree. You've got to address it and fast. Don't don't try to blow by it. Like I've made some really ridiculous mistakes um, sequencing emails. Um, This one... Uh, I remember setting up one email sequence where I like designed my templates and I was like really proud and it was going to be really personalized. So I had like left all the gaps in the emails for myself to personalize and put like XXXXX, personalize, 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 and like personalize for name, for title or whatever, stuff like that. And I accidentally set that email as an auto email and sent it out to every single person in the sequence. And it was one of those things where I like realized I was making mistakes. So I panicked and I just kept hitting like the wrong buttons to try to fix it. Like it was like, oh "Oh God, I've just sent it to like 10 people. Let me make sure I pause it. And instead I just like activated every single person waiting in the sequence and sent it to actually everybody. And it would have only been to like 10 people that day, but I managed to send it to like, you know, 250 people. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I remember just sitting there and being like, I like told my colleagues and they were like, I don't know, buddy, like that sucks. And my one colleague was like, address it, like send another email to all of them right now. Um, and just be like, wow, like I, I really messed that one up. Um, what I meant to say was this, I hope that you'll still 
I hope that you'll still re- read the email. I hope you'll still, you know, um, I hope you're still open to having a conversation. I hope, yeah, I hope you'd still find some value in a conversation about X, Y, Z. Um, yeah, you've absolutely just got to address it fast and then come back for a second shot. And often people do think it's like kind of funny or take pity on you. Like a bunch of people were like, you know what? It's actually fine. I realize now that you, that it wasn't an automated email. Like, of course it was an automated email, but they were saying like, I see now that there's a real person behind those emails. And now actually, yeah, I will have a conversation with you because if I had sent out a flawless email, like people often think that, you know, it's been sent to a hundred people and they may never want to answer. So people, people will often give you a second chance if you just admit fault and then try again. It would have been an awesome call. Let's be like, Hey, um, I just sent you the worst email. It's basically a bunch of X's. And I just wanted to call you to first apologizing for spamming your inbox. That was totally my bad. Second of all, can I tell you the reason why I called? I would have totally, can I tell you what I wanted to say in the email? Mm -hmm. I would have been a dope call blitz. (laughs) There you go, Janice. Uh, really great question. I make tons of mistakes like that still. So it, it happens just to own the mistake. Great question. Um, let's just kind of do, uh, there's a couple of random questions. I think you, uh, you guys that are really, really good here that sort of will pertain to everyone. Uh, and this is, this is something I know both of you come across. What did, uh, Kristen asks, what advice do you have for reaching out to a prospect who is opening your emails and clicking links, but is not responding to your calls or emails? Call them. Yeah. Call them again. Do a double tap. Call them then call them again. Cause sometimes people have, especially if you're calling direct dials, I keep my phone. I keep my phone on do not disturb. Me too. Yep. Which means you have to call me twice in order for it to actually ring. So if you know someone is opening your email and clicking stuff, they're probably doing it on their phone. You call them, it goes straight to voicemail. They see it's like an unknown number. They're not going to call it back. Call them again. It'll ring. They'll be like, Oh, I guess this must be important. Hey, it's me. Do you want to buy my software? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would do that. I'd call them. And then if that doesn't work, uh, send them a really beautiful video of yourself on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? What do you do? Absolutely call them. Yeah. If yep. you're seeing them, if you're seeing that like red rate going up and they're clicking links and stuff, you've got to call them because emailing them again is obviously not not the way that they prefer to respond. And yeah, if they don't answer, call them twice, leave a voicemail. That's all you can really do. Um, you try them on a different channel. If you haven't tried them like on LinkedIn, try them on LinkedIn. Um, maybe if they're active on LinkedIn, like comment on their stuff, like just try to like put yourself in front of them in all these different ways. Obviously don't comment being like, I, I called you. Will you answer me? Um, but just put yourself in front of them in a different way. There's, there is, there are two other things that I've done that have worked. If they're totally reading all my emails and they're ignoring my calls, if I'm feeling really bold, this is a questionable, this is maybe, this is only for the fearless is you shoot them a text and you say, Hey, looks like we keep playing phone tag or like, looks like I just missed you or, you know, whatever it is, but, uh, and then tell them, and then I tell them who that, who I am in my text and like the reason for my outreach. That's gotten me a couple meetings. It's also gotten someone to say that they would never buy my software ever. And they can't believe that I texted them. How awful. So that's the caveat. The other one is if someone's opened your email, like if, if you're prospecting into technology that they probably use something like outreach and they they know that that people have read receipts and can tell how many times you've opened their email. If someone opens my email like a hundred times, they didn't open it a hundred times, they forwarded it to their SDR team and said, This is how you guys should write emails. That's probably what happened. That's my guess. So I'll send an email that says something like, Hey so and so. Outreach just informed me that my email was opened 162 times. Now Either one of two things happened. The first is I've totally embarrassed myself, in which case I am the laughing stock of your entire sales org and I'll go crawl in a hole. Or two, something I said piqued your interest. If it's the latter, would you be open to a brief conversation? And then if I bump them with that, that has gotten me a couple of meetings. I love that. That's that's really cool. So it sounds like, hey, just just keep calling, try to engage them on a different channel and then get a little creative. So that's like a... Uh, Bridger, that's a really good pattern interrupt right there with that, just acknowledging it 
and uh, kind of making it easy for someone to kind of laugh or joke or say no even. So a great question, Kristen. Um, Here's another one with email that Robert Cohen asks. And I know you two have a lot of opinions on emails, but what what are your thoughts on length of email? He's asking, do you think shorter emails are more likely to elicit response than longer emails? Do you see a correlation with length? I think it depends on what you're putting in that email, but um, this is something that Beck has also shared in in uh, some of her uh, content, but kind of the way that the eye wants to read the email is like, if you know you're being prospected, the first thing that they're going to read is the first line to see who you are. And then they're going to skip down to the end. And if it's like, do you want to buy X or whatever, then they'll like think twice about going back and reading the whole body of the email. Um, so I find that with the first email, the shorter email, the better, um, to make it really, really kind of relevant to a pain or a trigger that, um, that you're kind of using as your reason for outreach, tying that into how you can help solve that pain. And then would you be open to a conversation? Does that sound interesting? Whatever. And in further emails down the sequence, they can be a little bit longer. And somebody asked, uh, in the, in the chat, actually, um, would you use case studies, uh, to help, um, book meetings? I would say also you can kind of uh, include those types of things in the like second or third email in the sequence because you're kind of continuing the story of how you can provide value and how you can help address um, whatever pain that person has. But certainly for that very first email, I would say the kind of the shorter, the better. Um, if you're just trying to get in there and and kind of grab their attention. Yeah, my first email is three sentences long. It's like, here's an inciting incident. Like, this is this is why it's relevant now. This is how someone, you know, who has this problem leverages our tool. And then when my have my ask in there, it's it's not to, it's not just like would you be open to having a conversation? Question mark. Cheers, Sarah. It's would you be open to having a conversation about? And then I fill it in with about how sales leaders or not about nope. sales leaders. Would you be open to having a conversation about how you can? and do X, Y, or Z thing. And I, um, that, that ask is making a, it's making them the hero of the story and they're the problem solver. Um, and you're just the Dumbledore who's helping. You're the guide. Harry. Yeah. And so like, I think that's like really important. Um, Kevin Dorsey talks about like, if it's interesting, if every line is interesting, it could be a really, really long email. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it just depends on, uh, what it is you're saying and, d- and how well is it composed and do you want to keep reading? Some people post incredibly long LinkedIn s- statuses that are really interesting. So you, you keep reading them. Um, you, you read novels sometimes too, but <laughs> like how well is it written? Twilight, not very fun to read, pretty badly written, wouldn't finish it. Harry Potter, also not that greatly composed, but the story is engaging. So I kept reading. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with email length, it's it's really interesting. So uh, Raj Nathan, who's he's on here from Startup Hype Man, he writes these really long story based emails that are really good, and they're they're like ten to fifteen sentences, and he gets really great responses back. But my rule of thumb is more around what you two are saying, and it's like you're probably not all as great a storytellers as Raj is, I, me included. So maybe don't do a long email. You know, try to keep it three to five sentences. But uh, Robert Cohen, great question, man. Um, hope that helps you out. There's another category of questions that people are asking that I definitely want to pick uh, you two and your brains on here is, uh, so Jason Lee is asking, I'm curious how you're setting SDR metrics such as meetings booked and how you're coming up with dials and calls per week and per day metrics. So essentially him and a few other people are asking, like, how do you even come up with the activity metrics so that you know what to do? And I hear this a lot with people that come to us is like, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what to do each day. How do you guys approach the activity part of uh, your job? I think you go ahead, Rager, because we'll have, yeah, we, I think we have very different, <laughs> different setups for this. Yeah, I was going to be like, well, you could talk to my boss because they're the one who comes in with all my KPIs. Uh, <laughs> so um, I think you can, I, I, I think of things as, all right, well, what's my quota for the quarter? What does that mean my quota is for the month? Okay, great. So that means how many meetings do I need to set 
a week in order to hit that quota. Well, actually, I want to exceed quota because I want to make money. Um, so, okay, great. Like I have a number in mind for what I need to hit by the end of the month. I also need, I need to exceed that in meetings booked because ultimately I'm going to have a no show. And if I don't, well, then lucky me. So let's say I have like 80% of meetings books show up. Great. So I just, you know, overshoot that. And then, um, what does that mean for what I need to do during the week? Well, um, it means that I need to book X amount of meetings per week and, then I have to book X amount of meetings per day. And then I just kind of like make dials and uh, send, send messages and just do, do things that set meetings. Researching companies doesn't set a meeting. So that happens in the evening after like everyone went, went to bed. Um, so like that, that's how I think about things. And the, the, the weeks that I've had, like, or the months where I've had, had, sit, had the most amount of meetings booked and exceeded quota the most has been when I have every morning had a specific goal over how many people I was going to add to sequence, how many dials I was going to make, how many emails had to be sent, and how many LinkedIn touches I had to do. And it changed every day, but I changed based off of the information I gathered the day before and um, like who I needed to get. Because as the week goes on, there's you, you get closer and closer to the decision maker that you know is going to care about what you're selling. And then those people are, I write their name down every, every day in my, in my journal. And I'm like, get that guy. And until I get a yes or no for them, they're going to get a dial. They're going to get hit up. And I'm not going to be like too overly aggressive. I'll give them like two days to like not, not get a, a ring from me or whatever, maybe a video instead. But <laughs> until they tell me no, like, you know, I'm going to go for it. And then, you know, and then you always have to keep pouring fuel on the fire or adding logs to it. So keep adding people to sequence. So that, you know, you just got to break it down based off of what your numbers are and what, and what, you know, you can call your boss and ask him like, Hey, can you pull the outreach numbers for me? Like how many meetings did I book over email versus LinkedIn versus phone? Okay, great. That's where you spend more time, spend time where people answer. Like that's how you need to think about it. And then you set your goals in the morning and at the end of the day, you say, did I reach my goals? Yes or no. And if I didn't, why, what was my blocker? Is it because I broke my foot? understandable is it because I took a nap not so much so that's how I do it yeah there's definitely this element of like funnel math which is like you've got to start from that finer point which is yeah the quota how many meetings you need to book and then work backwards through all those steps that Brazier kind of outlined there um and in terms of like actual specifics of number of dials or number of emails it's not as important um and I think Brager, we talked about this on a, on a different call and you kind of agree. It's not as important to set like, okay, you need to do 150 calls final. You have to do that. 150 emails, whatever, to kind of set these numbers. Um, you want to rather see where your reps or where you are actually succeeding and then throw all the effort into that. So if you kind of, um, if you're a sales manager and your expectation from your reps is to do a very set number of each thing, your reps aren't all going to be good at the same things. Some are going to outshine others in certain channels, certain tactics. So let your reps focus heavier on those things and where they book meetings rather than um, the, obviously the most important metric that you're tracking is the meetings booked. It's not the KPIs. Like the KPIs are just a means to get to that meeting booked. Um, so don't kind of limit yourself by um, having the KPIs all so set in stone. Yeah. Last week, I didn't make a single dial. And I didn't make, well, I think I made five dials. No one picked up. And I sent one email and I booked eight meetings all over LinkedIn because I was being specific about who I was talking to and where I wanted to talk to them. So I sell to salespeople. We all live on LinkedIn. So that's where I'm going to go first. And I was looking at accounts that I knew engaged with Gong's content or followed Gong on LinkedIn and then I looked for people that I was directly connected to. And I either talked to a sales leader and I did not pitch them. I just had a conversation. I booked a meeting by talking to a sales leader about how he had an Emerson quote. So we talked about transcendentalism for two days. And then he finally asked me what it is that I'm selling. And then he said, that sounds interesting. I'd like to take a meeting. So like, that's how I booked that meeting. Um, the other meeting that I booked is I found someone who downloaded some of Gong's, Gong's content, follows us as an individual contributor. So I hit him up and I said, hey, I just got a new book of accounts. Your company is one of them. Like, would I know that you've, you've engaged with our content. 
is it like, would you be willing to share whether or not you think that it would be like worth my time to go after your account? Like, and they download all of Gonk's content. So he, he, he liked our stuff and he was like, yeah, totally. And then he introduced me to his VP of sales and his VP of sales responded. And now we have a meeting set. So it's like, focus on the objective, not the, not like if you're mindlessly sending emails, if they're crap (laughs) and no one reads emails anymore because they're getting spammed by marketing. Like, who cares? So Jason Lee, yeah, uh, Jason Lee, there you go. One thing that I caught from you too as well, it sounds like, is you're very agile is the word I would use, where it's almost just looking at, hey, in the last day or two, what's worked really well? Because that might not be what was working well last month, especially right now with COVID. You don't really know what is going on. (laughs) On sometimes it feels like a weekly basis, but is that a key part of this, staying really agile and saying, hey, what's just working in the last 24, 48 hours and how can I just double down? on what's working. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think like in the end, over 50% of the work that you do as an SDR is ad hoc to a certain degree. Like you can follow your sequence and your tasks. And of course your outreach tells you what tasks you need to do. And if you've set those for yourself, you got to do them. But if somebody like messaged you back on LinkedIn and you don't have another LinkedIn message task to them for two days, don't wait until the task comes up, like have that conversation in LinkedIn. Or like if you had a phone task for somebody that answers your email, your phone task is for like three hours from now or your like call block or whatever, but somebody writes something back to you on one platform, like they're, they're obviously right there at their computer. Like that's when you hit the phone. So there's, um, this foundation that you've got to kind of exist within this like framework of all the different things that work. Um, and then you do have to be agile and you've got to just adjust um, kind of all day, every day. Yeah. And then if you feel like you haven't booked any meetings, that's when you do the thing, the, e- the easiest thing to do is, is to hop on the phones. If I feel like I'm really, really like, damn, this week is slow. What am I going to do? It's call blitz. And then usually, usually someone picks up. <laughs> so after uh, 50 dials, I want to be mindful of your your guys' time here. We're far up. This like flew by. Uh, thank you everyone for the questions. This is awesome. I sent in the chat, everyone, go and connect and uh, follow these two on LinkedIn. I put their links in here. Uh, and Sarah Jane Hicks, I put a link to Outbound Labs, which I love. So they do experiments on a monthly basis and they document the experiments. So if you ever wanted to know like, hey, should I put in uh, like an actual invite in the LinkedIn message or should I send a blank invite? Like they've done all these really cool tests. So make sure to check that out. And before you two take off, uh, Brazier, what do you want people to go check out and do after this or just any lasting, uh, last parting thoughts, excuse me? Yeah, I mean, um, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, follow Gong on LinkedIn. We put out yep. a ton of great sales content. Um, Devin Reed uh, is always in, in the Gong lab going through all of mining all this call, uh, call and uh, email data. So those are great places. And if you're ever interested in like revenue intelligence, just, you know, give me a ping. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about you, Sarah Jane Hicks? What do you want people to go check out? Yeah, same thing. Uh, follow predictable revenue. We're always also sharing stuff uh, on Outbound in particular. Um, Outbound Labs is a great place to to hear about all the experiments we're running. Uh, but we're always kind of sharing eBooks, the Predictable Revenue podcast. We're always bringing on guests that are kind of in the field. Um, and then, of course, you can also follow me, add me on LinkedIn. Um, I think I have a little bit more time than Sarah on LinkedIn. She's been a thought leader for longer and she's getting spammed all the time. But I've got a little a little bit of time if you want to ask me some questions about <laughs> Outbound. I'm, I'm really happy to kind of hash it out and and figure it out with you. Awesome. You too. Uh, thank you so much for taking an hour out of your day to come on. And people are just saying all kinds of good stuff about you in the chat. So go ahead and connect with these two on LinkedIn. And we have two more presentations coming up. Uh, one tomorrow with Anita Nielsen and one Thursday with Mark Colgan. And we're going to be digging into triggers and personalization and all kinds of cool stuff. So my ask is, if you got value from today, please just find someone else, a coworker, someone to share it with. Uh, We're putting this stuff out for free. And I appreciate you guys hopping on and everyone have a good day. We'll see ya. Thanks so much, Jason. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed interviewing those two. And anytime, like I said, I get to pick two people's brains that are doing this on a daily basis and, and doing really well at it. It, uh, it always is it, I mean, I always learn a ton. So the big takeaway that I got, I love this metrics based approach 
with looking at like the number that you need to sequence and then dial and then email and then LinkedIn and really looking at that on a weekly basis to make sure you know where your meetings are coming from. That's my biggest takeaway. So before you take off, uh, check out the rest of the tour. It's free. Like I said, it's live. It's all 100% focused on prospecting and anything that helps you prospect better. So that's personal branding, cold email, cold calling, LinkedIn, etc. Uh, check it out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. It's linked up in the show notes. If you're listening to this from your phone, should be a link in there that you can click right on. And we got about 20, 25 more talks uh, left on the tour. So check it out and uh, we'll see you there hopefully.